right. Good morning, Windsor Community Church. My name is Jake, uh, one of the pastors here alongside Dan and John. Um, it's a privilege to get up here. I don't get up here very often, so I'm excited to open God's Word today. So let's, let's start with prayer. Um, let's do this. Lord, we just thank you for um, your goodness, your grace. And Lord, just as we walk through these verses in this uh, book of 2 Corinthians, Lord, help us just to be compelled um, to know the goodness that awaits us in heaven. And that not only that, but uh, as our time on earth is short, that uh, we can aim to please you through it in all that we do. So Lord, I just pray that you guide me today um, and just uh, use my words however you see fit. And Lord, we're just going to praise you in, in all things. We love you. Amen. All right. Um, I hope that today these, these verses are timely for you. God really works mysteriously in that, and I think he's done that really well over the last uh, sermon series here. So I hope today is, is no different on that end. Dan and the rest of the guys have really set up 2 Corinthians really well, um, <clears throat> especially the last two weeks as we looked at that contrast that's kind of laid out between the body and the spirit. So today's message, uh, kind of a, a, a weird one, it's about death, right? Super fun. I'm um, really excited about that. But much more, it's really about life. And both life on this earth and in heaven, life in heaven. Dan spoke last week about the outer body wasting away and, and all the affliction that we have in our lives. And I can just imagine Paul as he's writing this and just thinking about all the affliction that he's gone through. I mean, at this point, he's probably been starved, he's been beaten, stoned, uh, jailed, shipwrecked, uh, you name it. And not only that, like as he ages, like you can see he gets, he's getting old. Uh, his body is starting to break down. And he's experiencing people around him with death and, and afflictions like that too. So that's kind of my question is, I'm sure, um, have you guys ever been around death or affliction like that? And it doesn't have to be about persecution. Paul here, I think, is plainly speaking about the body and its inability to continue on in perpetuity. And have you ever lost a loved one? I, you know, I think back. I, I look at just this last year, my grandma passed away. Uh, like a couple weeks after that, my, her son, my uncle, passed away. Uh, a member of our congregation, a couple of them, Luann Thompson over Easter, and a few months before that, Suzanne Johnson. I look at my wife, her grandpa passed away in January. And this guy was probably the closest person to her in her whole life. Um, and those things, they're just tough. Uh, and if I look at those people, and, and I try to see um, a lot of them do, but do all of them know Christ that I've been around, that have died? And I don't know if I can answer the question, yes. And, and that's tough. And it makes me question, kind of look at my own life. Is like, what is, what is my life? And what do I do with it? And then really, like, what's next? And I'm sure you guys have done the same. Right? It's one of those things that you just can't escape. It's death. Uh, it's not fun. Um, but it's just a matter of time unless Christ comes back and we're still alive. But what does it mean to live in this life that we do have? And as we see today, we're living in this in-between time of where we know Christ, but we're really not yet with Christ. So this is my prayer today, that God would help us to see and live knowing that this life is not all there is, but that the best is yet to come. That death does not have the last word, but that we have the hope of heaven, that reality of heaven. 
And our Christian worldview should inform us of that reality. And, and I'm not really sure that we always have a Christian worldview. I think a worldview that a lot of us struggle with is this, and this is myself included a ton, that we think that these few short decades on this earth is all we have. And so we better make sure to make the best of it and, and really conserve ourselves so that we can make the long haul and, and have comfort in this life. I mean, if you look at the news and, and our surroundings, we have a lot of people that live in the fear that death is going to meet them when they're not ready, and that because we think that this life and this body is all that we have, then we usually try to do a few things to try to make the best of it. Like, maybe we feel we should be so, like, stinking cautious that we actually, like, never live um, because we, we worry about what's going to happen. Or maybe the opposite, and we just like go for it, and we, we become reckless. It's our only one chance at joy, so we, we just make a, a ton of unwise choices. Or maybe we could have the worldview that we need to do something significant with our lives. Just We have to make money. We have to go on adventures. We got to climb the, the corporate, corporate ladder. Uh, and, and if you think of it, that mentality can work its way all the way down the chain of, of life. You could be a college student or high school student thinking that the coursework that you're going to take is going to dictate like the rest of your life and you freak out about the decisions and the classes you have to take. Or you could be in a, a midlife crisis where you think like, what the heck am I doing with my life? And you, you freak out about stuff thinking you're missing out and you try to make these radical changes in your life. Or maybe you're in your old age and you're looking back at your life, and you just have a ton of regret. Like, I don't know if you guys can find yourself in that place. You have a, a bucket list that you need to do this and that before you die. And really, the question is, are we terrified of death? Are we terrified of it? Regardless, we all live our lives according to a worldview in a biblical worldview, one that's brought forth by being regenerated through the Spirit is the opposite of that scared of death type of life. The biblical worldview informs us that there is more and there is better, that as followers of Christ, we've been set free from that fear of the end. And that God promises us that when our bodies die, when we get put into the earth, we're going to be resurrected ultimately into a new body. And a body that will not break down, <laughs> that is eternal. And also that our time here on earth, it actually does have purpose. And that's not what I would say is for fleshly gain, but it's for Christ. Our, our worldview just impacts us a lot. It impacts how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we view ourselves, uh, even how we look in the mirror, how we view others. And we need to be very careful in understanding our worldview and how that affects us. Are we living our lives according to what we claim to be is true? Or is Jesus just an extracurricular activity that really doesn't impact our worldview? And I'm excited, especially with 2 Corinthians, because I feel like Paul just beats us over the head with this worldview uh, of Christ. And over the last two weeks, we saw that we are broken vessels or, or jars of clay, as it says in chapter 4, whose primary job is to shine forth Christ. 
And last week we saw, as Dan was up here, that our outer body is, is wasting away, but our, our inner self is being renewed daily for that eternal glory. And then as we see that connection to this week, as those, that chapter flows into five, uh, that us as a broken vessel and seeing ourselves waste away on the outside, is though even though that is the case, we do have the hope of heaven, the reality of heaven that motivates us to engage this world for Christ as we await for that unseen promise of the resurrection of the body and of life with Christ. So today I want to dive into those realities and understand those realities through really three points. And, and here's the three points. Is first um, is that reality that we are living in a tent. This is, it's temporary. We're living in a tent. And by the tent, I mean our flesh, our, our bodies. We're a tent. Second is this, that... Um, we have the hope of heaven. That's a, that's a huge thing that, that is going to be throughout these verses. And third is this, that there is beauty and purpose in what we're going to see uh, called the groaning of this life. So let's dive into that first point. Knowing that we're living in a tent, uh, starting with verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If you look Paul, at Paul, that notion of death appears really early. Chapter 1, he just talks about how he's like at the end. Paul's brushed with death. He mentions affliction quite often with his ministry. Um, and so much so, we saw the last couple weeks, we saw how beat up his body got. And that's reflected here in chapter 5, verse 1, where it says that we know the body is a, temp, uh, a tent. That it's a temporary structure. Um, death is going to intervene. But that's okay because we have a building from God. Uh, that tent uh, that he speaks about, it's really not that hard to understand. If you guys just look at the prayer requests on the realm, or if you... Uh, look at your community group and all the burdens that they're going through just to see the, the, the burdens that people have. People get sick, they get cancer, they get depressed. Our, our bodies have all sorts of wacky chemical imbalances. We break bones, right? Our body, our tent uh, is not that great. They may be good for camping for a while, but to try to weather the storms of life and, and make it for the long haul is impossible. And, and that's just a reality. Tents are temporary. And Paul, in these verses, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us as believers. Uh, the beginning of verse 1 says that, For we know, for we know that if the tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. And that's important, I think, because a lot of the people in Corinth and much of the pagan Roman Empire really did not believe in the resurrection of the body. And Paul, Paul really kind of lights into uh, that issue in his letter to the, in 1 Corinthians, to the church in Corinth, and saying that if we don't believe in this resurrection of the dead, uh, then we're not going to understand Christ, and we're not going to understand God and heaven, and, and really it's like kind of Christianity 101 on that stuff. Scripture is so clear, and Paul's clear about that, that I'm going to jump into 1 Corinthians 15 as he just kind of expounds on the importance of understanding this resurrection of the dead. So here's 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. It says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And then a few lines down in, in verse 12, it says this, it says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Those, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. Pastor Paul gets really fired up in that, or, or maybe at least I do when I read it, but uh, we can see that although everyone who faces death, we can, like Paul, and with all believers, give thanks to God and be confident we can be of good courage, of the certainty of Christ's resurrection, and know that beyond death lies that prospect of having a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, and this is our resurrection bodies, built by God. They're permanent, <clears throat> and, and that's awesome. It's awesome, but we must also acknowledge that we are here in the tent, and we know and agree with verse 2 that says that in this tent, we're going to groan. And we are, we're groaning in the body. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you, if you probably have, you woke up and you have aches and pains. I mean, I just was out throwing the ball around with my boys yesterday, and my arm hurts today. Like, it's not good. Uh, sometimes, I'm not kidding, like, I'll move quickly and I'll pull a muscle. I'm like, what the heck is going on with my body? I used to be an athlete, and the stress that I put on my knees from playing hockey has been so severe that I've got tendonitis uh, on my knees. So when I go out running, I have to put these like blue-orange straps underneath both my kneecaps, and I look ridiculous, but it's the only thing that helps from the chronic tendonitis pain in there. And the scary part is, like, I'm not that old yet, and I see my body just breaking down. I used to get hurt, and I'd be fine in a matter of a couple minutes or hours, but now it's like days and weeks and sometimes months, man. And, and I can see this tent, this temporary structure, uh, and I long for uh, the eternal, not only physically, but also spiritually. And I can echo what Paul says in chapter 8 of uh, the book of Romans. He says this in verse 22. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. We were saved. Now, when Paul is speaking about this heavenly dwelling, we can see he's talking about the resurrected body, the body that is not made with hands. And, and then he does have this bit of a, like a juxtaposition here in the next verse, in, in verse 3, where he talks about this middle time between death and the final resurrection. He says this for verse 3, he says, if indeed by putting it on, he's talking about the, the building, the permanent building, he says, if indeed by putting it on, 
we may not be found naked. And just to work out some theology on, on death and end times here, we'd see that the body dies and your soul or spirit, I'll use those interchangeably, will immediately go to be with Christ. They are in paradise. Their dead body will go into the dirt, and then at that last judgment of Christ, he's going to inaugurate the final and the new heaven and earth, and in that, our bodies will resurrect from the dead and be renewed and glorified and clothe us in heaven. They will be our buildings, not made with hands, in there. And I think the Westminster Confession of Faith does a really great job summarizing that. I'm going to read a portion out of this. It's chapter 32, and it's titled, Of the State of Man After Death and the Resurrection of the Dead. It's a a good summary here, so I'm going to read this. It says this. I think it's going to be up on the screen as well. Uh, The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places, for souls separated from the body, the scripture acknowledges none. So, it's under the assumption or to have the understanding that there is a perfect body that's awaiting for us at the final resurrection. So in verse 3, we see Paul has likely alluded to that intermediate state, that state of just being a, a spiritual being without a physical body, and that's not the ultimate, that's not the fullest state. He refers to it as being naked until we receive our eternal heavenly dwelling at the final resurrection. But Praise God that we can take heart that we're going to be with Christ immediately. Like all the saints before us, we will join them. We will be in paradise immediately. Uh, I think Paul explains kind of his feelings towards this pretty well in Philippians 1 and in verse 21 and through 23. It says this, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Just a, you can just hear his, his emotions in that. And as we move down to the next verses, we see Paul use another analogy of the body as he talks about it with clothing. In verses 4 and 5, it says this, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, Not that they would be unclothed, but they would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. We see that this groan is the in-between time, this in the flesh. We're We're in this tent, and we're being burdened. We are in Christ, but we're not yet with Christ and when we are with Christ at the final resurrection, our bodies, our, our clothes, our declared flesh, and our spirit is going to be further clothed with the immortal, just swallowed up by life. I love that imagery. It will swallow up our temporal clothing. And that groaning that he talks about, it's not a wish to die and be unclothed, 
but it is to groan for life with Christ. And we know that because in verse 5 it says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. That's where we have the hope of heaven. It's through that. So I think that the first point here is conclusive, that we're living in a tent. That's our present reality. And that second point, the hope of heaven is what the Spirit gives in us along with that groan for our eternal home. And we can know that with confidence and with good courage and love it and live our lives according to that. The hope of heaven should really be everything for the Christian. God has prepared us for it. Those things, those yearnings, they don't just come naturally. They don't arise from within us. It's God who has prepared us for these groans of hope. God, <clears throat> God is not distant and, and far away. Like We long to be with him, but also he is in us and directing us and, and guiding us as we are in this groan. And that prospect of being fully clothed with him is what motivates us. So then we see Paul conclude this section, encouraging the Corinthians to be of good courage, to be confident with verses 6 through 9. It says this, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. I love how that starts out. It says to, to, that we're always of good courage. And I think that word courage is pretty awesome here. It's the ability to do something that frightens you, to be confident, to be of good cheer, to be bold. And I got to say, Paul was probably not the strongest man on the block here. Uh, he knew that he could die at any time. But since he was on this earth, it was his aim to please Christ with courage and with confidence. Paul walked by faith and not by sight. You could say yes and amen, that we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, but we're not in control of that. So the fact that we are in the body, we should aim to please him, and we're to do that by walking by faith because we can't see it yet. I think a theologian, Thomas Schreiner, has a great discussion on this. He says, uh, as Christians, we recognize that our bodies are in exile, right? He, we call us uh, sojourners and strangers to this earth, pilgrims, you could say, that we're not really home yet. We long for heaven. And I think we can see that a lot of time our, our aim here is to want to be comfortable, and to have the perfect job, and to have the perfect spouse, the perfect family, the perfect church, and so forth. And I think those desires are not wrong in themselves, but I do think that we can respond to those desires in a very wrong way. We can begin to seek or to look for, to have that sight of heaven on earth, and I think we can fall into sin through that. People I think people would say they're not looking for heaven on earth. Uh, people say they know that everything on earth is flawed. The problem is that we often live differently than what we say. Our actions are a lot of times at odds with what we say. Our heads can say one thing, but then our hearts can say something else, and we often follow our hearts even though they deny our heads. 
And I think there's a bunch of indications that uh, can tell us that we're falling into that trap of, of sight here. And maybe one indication is that we're just willfully sinning. Another is this. If we find ourselves grumbling and unhappy and complaining, the truth is that if we're critical and negative about life, then I think we are looking for heaven on this earth. The longings we have for perfection, they're, they're not wrong, though what we do with those desires can be wrong. They may be wrong because we end up living by sight instead of by faith. Paul constantly tells us where our home is. He exhorts us to be confident about our future. And if we're not confident about our future, then we're going to face discouragement. And discouragement is the opposite of, of confidence. And Satan wants to bring us down, and he does so by trying to get us to live by sight instead of by faith. He wants us to think that things are not going to get better. He attacks us. He says, quit fighting sin. He says, you'll never win. Just give up. You're a failure. Satan tells us you don't really help anyone. You're not useful to his cause. But Christians, brothers and sisters, when we think this way, we're really not walking by faith. That's a sight issue. We face depression and discouragement because of this. So we are away from heaven, that final place. We need to walk by faith. We need to trust that God loves us and that he is sovereignly working out his plan for us. And I get it. We can get discouraged because we can't always see how he's working out his plan. And sometimes uh, we feel that maybe what's going on in our lives can't be his plan. And then we start to doubt what he's doing. But we must interject and tell ourselves that we need not walk by sight or by our feelings, because they can lead us astray. We need to walk by faith. We've got to be confident that God is working out his purposes in our lives. And then we can have courage and confidence that we are his and will ultimately be with him. For me, in that discouragement, sometimes it's helpful to look at the people that are in the faith that gave it their all. They give their lives to, pre, to please Christ and, and to make him known at all costs. They weren't caught up in seeing perfection here. They weren't concerned about having a cushy, comfortable life. They weren't worried about getting their way all the time. They wanted to preach the gospel and to save people uh, for an eternal life with Christ. And these people really challenge and convict me. Uh, you know, I mean, just even being with someone or hearing someone on their deathbed, and they're actually at ease, and they're saying they're ready to go home, man, that is, that's incredible. It's amazing. And then I look at missionaries. Uh, here's a story. One, a guy named John Stam, his wife Betty, uh, early 20th century, um, they go to China, the communist China, as missionaries, and they get found out. They even have a little baby there, and they get found out, and the communists take them out of their homes, and they're walking them to their execution. They're able to hide their baby, who's actually still alive today, 
Um, but they're walking, and they say on the side of the road, someone asked them, hey, John, like, where are you guys going? And John just laid hold to the hope set before him, uh, said he said he's going to heaven. That's pretty awesome. Or you can consider Paul, who was probably most likely sentenced to death in Rome, most likely by beheading. It's a more swift form of execution than crucifixion. That's one of the benefits of being a Roman citizen, I guess. But I can just picture his demeanor, right? His eyes closed. He has one last breath, and it's filled with joy, knowing where he was going. Or Peter, who was most likely crucified like Christ or, or burned on a cross. There's stories mentioning that he wanted to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to have a death like Christ had. You can probably recall stories of many martyrs in the faith. They didn't need to have your best life now. They didn't need to climb the, the corporate ladder. They didn't need to sell their souls to make money. They put their faith in a better place, in a final home. Their aim, as verse 9 says, was to please him, whether they were in the flesh or in heaven. And this should be our aim, to please him. We look, what should we be doing in the flesh? We should do all that we can to glorify the one who has created us. This can be in our jobs. This can be in our homes, in our communities. It can be in our church body. We don't have to go overseas to be missionaries, but we can. We should reflect and proclaim Christ in everything we do. Colossians 3.23 says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Again, Philippians 1.22 says, With full courage now as Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. We ask, why is our walk in an important part of our faith? And we see, as we conclude in verse 10, this. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now here's the question. Does this emphasis on the necessity of good works violate the gospel? I think at first glance, it's kind of a struggle reading that. Uh, after all, Paul repeatedly says that we're not justified by works, but only through faith in Christ. How can he now say that our works are necessary for eternal life? And, and well, I, I really think Paul is saying both, that works do not justify us, and they are necessary for eternal life. I think you can look at James chapter 2 that examines that really well. He, Paul knew what he was saying here. I don't think he was contradicting himself. Uh, we can praise God. We are justified by faith through Christ's work on the cross, right? He has taken our sins upon his shoulders. He bore the wrath that we deserve. Uh, not only that, but he's imputed his righteousness into us so that we become the righteousness of God. And in that final judgment, God will see Christ in us. But to be sure, the life we live in Christ is an active and an obedient one to him. If not, 
then are we really in Christ? Our aim should be to please the Lord, and that should be expressed by love and by obedience. Because we have the confidence and courage in the Lord, that shouldn't stop us from service. In fact, I think a life without good works in the Lord is one that's going to be judged apart from the Christ. And we will receive what is due to us. Good works, then, show that we are really alive in Christ. If someone claims to be alive but shows no evidence of being alive, then that claim is called into question. That's how works function. They're not the basis for our life in Christ. We know that. They're not the basis for our life in Christ. Our life comes by the grace of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, and it's applied by the work of the Holy Spirit. But our good works, that outflow of the Spirit, demonstrate that we are truly alive, that we've really been born again. And those who do such good works will receive their reward well when they go home to be with the, ward, with the Lord. And that's my question to myself, to Windsor Community Church. How are we doing in that? Can, can we acknowledge that, one, we are in a tent, this temporary body? Do we have the hope of heaven? And is our aim to please Christ through the groaning in this life? Or has the craziness of life distracted you from your true aim? Have you forgotten your purpose? Have other things taken over so that you've lost your direction and focus? I think these verses are a very good reminder of why we are created. I can see in my own life, I find myself going along, and then the Spirit just like blasts me, like, Jake, what are you doing? Who are you living for? You are selfish. You are living for yourself. I just want to encourage us, church family, to make it our aim, to make it our ambition in life to please Him and to honor Him and to glorify Him so that we can be God-centered and not man-centered. May God give us a passion to please Him instead of people. Understand that reality, right, that we are living in a tent, that we do have the hope of heaven, and that there is purpose and beauty in our groaning in this life. And I said earlier, I pray that God would help see, uh, help us see this and to live knowing that life, this life, is not all there is, but the best is yet to come, and that death does not have the final word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for these words. We thank you that we can have courage and confidence knowing that this life is not uh, the end-all, be-all, but we are just a blip on the map. We are, this is such a small portion compared to our eternity with you. So Lord, just spur us on um, as, we, as we head out to, to love you, to make it our aim to please you in the flesh, uh, in this life, and to groan knowing that uh, we have an eternal, uh, secure eternity with you. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.